Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast, and I'm joined by the Liverpool Offsides, Mark Kastner. Mark, how are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. It's the the rain has started in Seattle, so uh, if I am if I sound extra depressed, that's why it's nothing <laughs> Liverpool related. <laughs> well, clearly, <laughs> and if I sound extra depressed, it is obviously Manchester United related. So uh, the long history or historic rivalry renewed uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United uh, this coming Sunday at Old Trafford. Um, Paul Pogba and da- David De Gea both confirmed out today by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. There's the possibility that Aaron Wan-Bissaka will return and that Anthony Martial could make an appearance as well. So, uh, Mark, is that a lineup that strikes fear into your heart? No. Um, I think, I think even with Pogba and De Gea, I, I would feel fine, um, yeah. going into this, but it's always been such a weird, weird match. Like, um, we've obviously been the better team for at least two years now. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially the match at Old Trafford never seems to go our way. So, I mean, I'm probably as confident as you can be, but I'm obviously still, Still reserved. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the one two years ago popped up on my memory feed on Facebook today. I wrote an article about the nil-nil draw at Anfield at the beginning of the 17-18 season. And that was the one where uh, I think Pogba was out injured and Liverpool just laid siege to Manchester United, who at the time were undefeated in the league and were you know, only two or three points off of City at the top. So we were still riding high on that 4-0 FC feeling. And then the first big match of the season, Jose goes and parks the bus. So it, it was kind of interesting seeing even then the kind of, you know, this the way that both of these clubs have come since then has been pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that, the you know, the nil-nil... Was it last February? Um, was obviously unexpected, uh, given, you know, Liverpool were chasing down City for the week. It's, you know, it's weird that a match in early February ended up sort of deciding the title, but that's just sort of how last season went. <laughs> yeah. um, but even in the match, it was weird because United had two or three injuries in the first half. That's when from, uh, Roberto Firmino gets hurt, and you know we s- sort of s- start our slump. Um, so I'm just like, I'm not. I mean, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Obviously, um, I would very much like a 2013-14 show up at Old Trafford and and kind of dance all over the place. But um, I don't know. I I can only be so confident. <laughs> Yeah, and the I'm sure there will be a defiant, you know, singing of twenty times, twenty times because that's basically all the fans have got going for them now is is the history. But on the pitch, you'd expect you know Liverpool's attack to just swamp them, and it's it's not necessarily because that's you know the style that they've become known for under Jurgen Klopp is their attacking prowess. But even in the games where if you know if our defense is able to slow them down and the game becomes sluggish. Liverpool have just been able to find ways to win. I mean, even last year they ended up dropping games down the stretch, but there were so many almost freak incidents where at the end of the game they were able to nick a goal. 
Yeah, I think I think there's obviously a narrative floating around this season um, that Liverpool have been lucky, um, and I'm not going to disagree that they haven't taken advantage of of the luck that's been presented to them at times. You know, like getting a a 95th minute minute penalty against Leicester, or um, a Manchester United loney throwing the ball into his net against Sheffield United. But even in those two matches, Liverpool were the, were clear the better team, should have scored other on other chances, should have had the game put to put to bed by those points. So yeah, they've gotten lucky, but they've also they've never been second best in a match this year, at least um in the league. And that's also sort of I mean kind of a hallmark of champions is that you you know, I think every Premier League champion, maybe not the year's worst someone ran away with it, but at some point they got lucky, uh, particularly in the close races. And, you know, that, that's just another plus to a team that seems built not just to contend this season and that they've won every game this season, but, you know, to contend for multiple years into the future. Yeah, what's been pretty interesting about this Liverpool side is, you know, um, they lose the Champions League final against Real Madrid in just sort of the worst circumstances imaginable. You know, Mo Salah gets hurt. Loris Karius uh, gets his concussion and throws throws two in the net. And then, you know, it would be very easy for that team to spend that the summer before last last season and, you know, sort of woe is me and, you know, kind of regress to the mean and sort of all the things. It'd be very easy for that Liverpool side to do what this Tottenham side is doing, for instance. Mm -hmm. But they come back, they get 97 points in the league, and they win the Champions League, but they got 97 points in the league and didn't win the league. (laughs) Right. To put it in perspective, 97 points is what? Six more points than Sir Alex Ferguson ever got. So, yeah, and even those years, I mean, when United was the team, it was the early two thousands, late nineties when they were the team running away with the league. They never got close to that level of points. Yeah, and and, and sorry, go ahead. It it seems very very clear to the players, and you know it. Anytime a microphone's in front of the players, like Trent Alexander had, a, Trent Alexander Arnold had an interview. I think it was today or yesterday. Uh, James Milner had an interview after the Leicester game. They said, "Listen, last season wasn't enough, and so we know what it takes this season, and what it takes this season is 100 points." And um, where they could just, you know, sort of feel sorry for themselves, and you know, they would have every right to. Anytime you get 97 points in the league. And you don't win. That's a very Liverpool thing. But uh, you know, this team seems seems like they have the fight in them in those matches, like against Leicester and against Sheffield United, even against Chelsea to to a lesser extent. That you know, they like like they've said to to the cameras, they know what it takes, and we'll see if in May if that's enough. Do you think also that? The sort of separation that exists between City and Liverpool and the rest of the league, their ability to accumulate this amount of points, do you think that part of it is that there is such a drop in quality between them and the other teams? Or do you really think that, like, Liverpool and City are actually, you know, two of the best Premier League teams ever? Um, 
I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit and say both. Um, I think, I think this Liverpool side and this Manchester City side are, are obviously the two best, best teams we've ever seen in, in the Premier League and maybe even English football. But, um, I think that's, that, that exists and I also think the drop off in, in quality and other sides such as Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, um, and then the rest of the league is also happening at the same time. So, um, I think that's why you're seeing, you know, well, I don't remember what, um, Chelsea, Chelsea's point total was, but it was like 25 points off the, the pace or whatever last season. Um, so that's why you're seeing a third place finish closer to, closer to the mid seventies. And then you're seeing, uh, Liverpool and, and Chelsea get the amount of points that they're getting. I asked that partly because I'm curious as a United fan when it comes to the legacy debate, where kind of Liverpool fans stand on that. Um, obviously our, our hat's in the ring with the 98-99 and the 07-08 teams. Yeah, like, look, you, you get judged on the trophies you win, and Liverpool didn't win the league last season, so they're never, like, yeah, they got 97 points, which is the most points any other team besides Manchester City have ever, has ever gotten, but they didn't win the league, so it, they're not, they're not a championship winning team. I'm glad that they won, um, won the Champions League so that, that, you know, that 18, 19 team has, you know, sort of has that, that trophy that they can look back on. Um, but until, until they win the league or until they win multiple trophies, I don't think, I think that's something a United fan would always have. It, like, let's say, this team doesn't win the league this year. I think they will, but um, if they don't, you know, United and they could get a hundred points and still not to win the league, and that's the crazy thing. A um, United fan could always say, "Well, yeah, you didn't win the league, though," and that's what all my United fans, all my friends who are United fr- fans, are doing about last season. Yeah, you got six more points than Sir Alex Ferguson ever got, but you never, you didn't win the league. So. Well, I, I can say from personal experience, uh, dealing with friends who are Liverpool fans, uh, that's pretty much all we got right now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, I, I know how it was until, was it 2011? No, it must have been the 2009 season when he won 19, right? Uh, I, rem- uh, I remember being. It was 10 11. Um, Rooney hit the okay. penalty at Blackburn. Yeah. yeah. And that's when and we then had the... shaped 19 in, into his chest. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's never good when you're I mean, dealing with that sort of struggle, especially as a, a club that's expected to be bigger. But as we've seen this season, Manchester United is, has a lot bigger problems to worry about than keeping up with trophies at the moment. Um, so kind of, I guess, tying it back into this match, what are you expecting to see, I guess, strategy-wise from Liverpool? Obviously, they're going to be looking to attack, but what has Klopp kind of been putting out in previous games? Um, in pr- so he's actually been pretty small-c conservative uh, this so far this season. Um, 
I think aside from that Salzburg match, which is just wild, um, uh, the four three in um, in the Champions League, featuring future Manchester United great Erling Haaland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe Jesse Marsh, uh, who I think is a very talented manager. But um, they're not necessarily the same, um, you know, that heavy metal, like, crazy attack that we saw two seasons ago. They're not really the same defensive juggernaut they were last season. They're a little bit of a hybrid of both. Mm-hmm. And... um Oddly enough, that kind of like I, I'm obviously not in Jurgen Klopp's mind. I'd like to be. That would be very fun. I've obviously never talked to him. Again, would be very fun. But I think what he's done is he's looked at elements of those Manchester United great teams. He's looked at elements of his own great teams. He's looked at elements of Jose Mourinho's teams and tried to build this hybrid of. Um, of a team that can just wear opponents down. Whereas you have City, if they don't score in the first 20 minutes, they have matches like Wolves and Norwich. But with, but with this Liverpool side, they just sort of, they're just kind of a, a meat grinder and will just kind of pound you into the ground until, until you submit. Um, I don't know. They've been pretty conservative in possession, and I don't know if that I I have a theory that has a lot to do with Allison's injury, who who got hurt in the first half against Norwich in the first game. Um, they're not they're not using as much of the pitch as they they have been because Adrian's been in former West Ham keeper. Um, so I do, I don't really I don't really know what to expect from from this match. I, what I would like to see. And your listeners probably won't like this. I I would like Liverpool to show up to Manchester United like they're showing up to a normal 12th place team, and like a Bournemouth or a Burnley, and put four past them, and just you know sort of treat them with the disrespect that um, that quite frankly the team deserves. But I don't. I don't think Jurgen Klopp has that in him, to be honest with you. And I, 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 that sounds a little, that sounds like a dig at him, but he, he respects the game too much. He, he even does this with, um, with matches against Everton, who aren't even in, <laughs> they're even a different level of bad than Manchester United at the moment, <laughs> where he just, he pays the, he pays the rivalry, he pays, he pays the match too much respect. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Sunday's a lot more cagier than than maybe you're expecting. Yeah, and possibly I think the atmosphere may be one thing that United can have to get them going. But it, it, that style you're talking about of wearing teams down, we saw early in Ollie's reign that that's the style that he wants to play. But now we see this midfield stripped down to Nemanja Matic, Fred, and Scott McTominay. So we we really just don't have the quality to do that in midfield at the moment. Um, and our biggest strength is our defense on the pitch. So it, I guess it sort of makes sense that he's relied on it so much in previous games as we've gone through this injury spell after the first the opening two matches. I can see why he's leaning on the defense, but 
I, against Liverpool, I don't think there will be any other choice because there's no lack of quality in Liverpool's defense midfield or attack, really. Even the midfield, which some people have kind of looked at as a weakness, has definitely proven over the past few years that they're capable of holding their own. Um, I think Jordan Henderson has stepped up big time. James Milner, Nab- Nabi Keita I haven't seen a whole lot from, but Fabinho looks like he's paying off. Right. And us losing Ander Herrera and not replacing him and losing Paul Pogba has just, I think, taken out any chance of trying to control games this season until we can bring in reinforcements. That's great. That sounds great. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, but, you know, yeah, I mean, treating us like a 12th place team, that's literally what we are at the moment. And our midfield is weaker than, you know, Wolves. Wolves' midfield probably is. Or even maybe Watford, even though they're, in, you know, last place in the league. It, this is just the lack of depth in Manchester United squad and their over-reliance on their defense and their youth players is showing how far they've fallen in terms of recruiting and attracting talent. Yeah. Um, I'd very much like to... It's just it Basically, since the turn of the year last season, um, this, this team has been built, Liverpool's team has been built just to win. And it doesn't really matter how, how they win. Um, I think they only had... Is it two, uh, maybe three or four multi-goal wins to to finish out the season last year, um, and then this year, sort of sort of the same story, like lot of one one nothing wins, two one wins. Um, I'd be very surprised if Sunday's any different. Um, like if it was three one, and at one point it was one one, oh, that's perfectly fine by me. Like. I would like to have a, like I said, a performance like 13-14 where we come to Old Trafford and just decimate the place. But um, I think this team has a lot bigger things to worry about um, to than sort of making a statement against a rival, um, especially especially a rival that's so far off the pace. Um, I just don't – I don't see – I don't see them getting caught up in in that sort of. Um, I just don't see them getting worried about beating Manchester United by four goals, or, or like something like like that, which would happen under Brendan Rodgers' side or something like that. And and that's sort of what you know title challengers do when Sir Alex's team started emerging and they wanted to you know quote lock knock Liverpool off their perch. They, there was obviously still an intensity to the rivalry, and but there's to be a title contender, you have to realize that a season is more than just two games, and that's really what this rivalry is in the Premier League. It's just two games is at Old Trafford and Anfield, and you always want three points from those, but you realize that you know you got to beat everyone else too, and when one of them is in the race and one of them's not, it's just a you can't think about it in that same way of the intensity of the rivalry being bigger than, you know, the actual goal of winning the league. Yeah, I think, like, um, like, I just don't know if Sadio Mane cares about Manchester United. I don't, like, I don't know if, I don't know if Andy Robertson thinks about 
you know, like, I, I doubt it. <laughs> Sadio Mane did say in an interview that it made him sad that most people in Senegal were Manchester United fans. But yeah, I mean, he says all the right things, but like when um, when James Milner scored the penalty against um, against Leicester to to make it eight straight wins um, before the international break, there's a there's a there's a clip that was floating around Twitter that. Um, you could see him. He doesn't run to celebrate as a team. He just kind of collapses on the ground and is pounding the field. So, I, I like they, this team wants to win a title. They don't. They don't necessarily care about beating Manchester United as long as they beat Manchester United. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fans eat that shit up when when they see a player do that. Like, there there's an entire podcast called Roy Keane versus or. They, they spend a moment talking about Roy Keane celebrating that, that first goal and the comeback win against Juventus. He's just like, fist pump, high five, you know, back to the center circle, we go again. Like, that's yeah. the kind of attitude you need from your leaders in title races. And I think James Milner has been a pretty underrated player for a long time in the Premier yeah. League. Is, you know, he's shown his quality at both City and Liverpool. Yeah, I, I don't think there's... Uh... He's so important. James Miller's so important to to this Liverpool team. I don't think he'll start on Sunday. I think he'll get Jeannie Wijnaldum and Jordan Henderson. Um, in that the, the the two more advanced central midfield roles with Fabinho sitting behind them. Um, but he'll definitely play. James Miller's always the first sub. Whether whether Jurgen Klopp needs the team to be more attacking or he needs the team to be more organized. He always brings on James Milner, so he'll definitely play on Sunday. But uh, yeah, he's he's so important. <laughs> uh, and after that, I'll probably be accused of comparing James Milner to Roy Keane. So we'll move on. Uh, all right. So Mark, predictions. I guess score predictions for this match. How do you think it'll play out? And then I want to talk. I guess a little bit bigger picture stuff about both Liverpool and Manchester United. Um. Like, like I said, I, I probably see it being like two or three one Liverpool. Uh, I've been having nightmares all week that it's two one to United with twenty eight percent possession and two shots. Um, but I just don't think that this Liverpool team will let something like that happen. So, yeah, I'll, let's go three one, and um, Ole gets fired just like the game last December. <laughs> All right, that's all the time we have. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I'm going to go... Yeah, I'll go 2-0 Liverpool. Um, I don't think we're capable of scoring a goal on the day, even if Tony comes back. I just, I don't think the distribution in midfield will be there. And the, the Scott of... The, the, the idea of Scott McTominay being our best midfielder is just... It kind of says everything at the moment. Um, but I, I, at the same time, I do think our defense is has been somewhat decent. We've only conceded right, one goal is the most we've conceded in a match all season, apart from the Crystal Palace game. It's been a lot of you know, clean sheets or one goals conceded. Liverpool are obviously a cut above, but I, I don't know. I, I see them kind of holding it together just because they they're coming into this game knowing that they have to. Or I'll go 2-1 United, we'll score two goals in stoppage time, and 
you know, Ollie's back at the wheel. Sure. <laughs> I mean, we we've got an eight point cushion, so yeah, you guys uh, will be fine either way. If if you're gonna lose the game, I guess you might as well be this one. But I just don't see it happening. So yeah. Plus, plus I want the record for <laughs> most consecutive wins. So right. Because I care um, about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Ollie at the wheel, you guys have had Jurgen at the wheel since 2016. Um, things have really uh, worked out. Uh, 2015, sorry. Yeah, it's, it was just the yeah. four-year anniversary, actually, so that's why I... I okay. <laughs> things have really worked out since then, obviously, but it was kind of a slow start, not necessarily on the pitch, but in terms of overall league performance and winning trophies, it took three years. What do you... What is your observation of Liverpool's process and the the support or trust that they gave to Jurgen Klopp and what he was able to do with that? Um, I think they pretty much so so Liverpool's owned by Fenway Sports Group, which is uh, owns the uh, Boston Red Sox uh, in Major League Baseball, and I don't know very much about the Boston Red Sox, but. Um, what I've kind of learned over the years of following this ownership ownership group and even more recently covering them um, is they make a lot of they they have to gamble a lot and I think pretty much every gamble they've had since hiring Jurgen Klopp has paid off, <laughs> uh, which I think if if John Henry or Mike Edwards or whoever were to you know be on this podcast with us, they would say well. Sure, it was a gamble, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just throwing dice on a craps table. It was, you know, a calculated, a calculated uh, risk. Something over, um, over the international break was floating around to the CEO, Peter Moore, talking about how, you know, they've started using, how they use analytics and stuff. So, um, because they don't, they're not backed by, um, an entire oil state or a royal family, so they can't just spend, you know, fifty million dollars on whoever to to sit at the end of their bench like some other team. Um, but I think a lot like Jurgen Jurgen Klopp was the apex of that of that gamble. If they if they didn't get Jurgen Klopp, I don't think any of this is happening right now. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't really remember there being an alternative to Jurgen Klopp at the time. Like it was very much once Brendan Rodgers was fired, Jurgen Klopp was was the um, was the guy who they wanted to hire. Very much first choice. But I don't like if that would have failed. I don't know really what would have happened. Like I don't think all the transfers they would have done following that. I don't think sort of the relationship the team rebuilt with with the fans would have happened. So I think it, sort of everything falls at the feet of Jurgen Klopp pretty much, um, which I, you know, I like, I I think the club deserves a lot of credit where the club deserves credit and I'm, I'm willing to give them that. But I think without Jurgen Klopp, things look a lot differently around Liverpool right now. Uh, it's not to say they wouldn't be a good team, but I don't think they would be this good. Right. So it, it's kind of easy to put that level of trust in someone like Jurgen Klopp, maybe more so than 
previous managers they hired after Rafa, so like Roy Hodgson or Kenny Dalglish, who'd won trophies, obviously, but hadn't won them in a while. And then yeah, and Bren- wasn't the same. Yeah, and then Brendan Rodgers, who had never won trophies, that's you know taking a risk on someone who had just come from Swansea. Whereas Jurgen Klopp had you know rebuilt Dortmund and made them you know not only winners in Germany, but the I mean, they got to the Champions League final and they thrashed Real Madrid in that semifinal. Um, yeah. So you're bringing in someone who has that championship pedigree. With Manchester United, they they tried that obviously with Louis Van Gaal and Jose Mourinho after uh, the David Moyes experiment. Um, and now with Ollie coming in, there was definitely that feel good factor and the. You know, this imaginary Man United way was back for a few months, and we're kind of, we've sunk back into the reality that this is a team that is barren and needs an overhaul, but it didn't get that this summer. Um, and, I mean, all three of the players brought in, Harry Maguire, Aaron Wambasaka in particular, are two starters in this defense that looks a lot better than it did last season. But there's still so yeah. many problems with depth. And now, you know, people are calling for Ole out on Twitter. The fans in the stadium aren't really doing that. They're singing his name still. But there's still this lingering question of how do you do a rebuild right at Manchester United? And I was wondering what your opinion of the current situation is as a Liverpool fan, trying to be, you know, neutral. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think I can say anything that you're – like, you don't know. Like, obviously the problem is Ed Woodward and the ownership. Right. Whereas, if you, if you want to draw parallels with, um, with Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp and Fenway Sports Group, like, Fenway Sports Group was able to hire all the right people. Like, I just spent a ton of time giving Jurgen Klopp a ton of credit, but, um, the director of football or the technical director or whatever his name is, or whatever his position title is, his name is Michael Edwards. And he's been an incredible hire where they've had people in that position before who were sign, were selling Luis Suarez and signing Lazar Markovic. Uh, <laughs> and Ricky Lambert. <laughs> yeah, Ricky Lambert, Mario Balotelli, and, and hiring um, Brendan Rodgers, who I think uh, obviously ended up failing at Liverpool, but I think is uh, the... Um, I'm completely forgetting the word I wanted to say. Basically, revising the history uh, about Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool has been um, a little harsh uh, recently, and I'm not necessarily a fan of that. But I think, like, the people making decisions at Manchester United are not, um, are not at the quality and at the, at the level that you would expect <laughs> from, from Manchester United. And I think the Glazers got, um, they bought the team when, um, Alex Ferguson was in charge and they sort of rode him into the ground and now they're sort of reaping their um, the the not benefits from that. <laughs> right. So in terms of operating within this Glazer, Ed Woodward, Manchester United, do you buy that they're kind of on board with a three-year all-A plan or do you think that they're the kind of reactionary ownership and, I guess, executive board that would jump uh, on the all-a-out midseason. 
I think they're cowards. I think that they are um, willing to pass the buck as long as they're still making billions of dollars, which they are. And that's why they hired um, Oli to begin with. Um, I do like, I do sort of feel bad for Oli because I don't think he was ever, I don't think he's a good enough manager to manage Manchester United. But there's um, no way he says no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And if you know, sort of all the all the rumors that you that you hear are true, like he was handpicked by Alex Ferguson to be the caretaker, and you know they go on that run and whatnot, like they're they're happy to sort of ride this, ride, ride this as long as it takes. Then they'll just fire him and then hire somebody else and then fire that person. And as long as Edward Woods in charge. And is making billions of dollars from sponsorship deals. I don't see it getting any better. Yeah. Not to put a too harsh of a point on it. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly where the Manchester United fan base, fan base is at currently. And, you know, all this, this history of this group in particular leaking stuff to the press about, you know, what their intentions are or Edward were even writing an open letter to fans saying, we know what we're doing when you know, waves arms at the last six years. It's, yes, it's just not a situation where fans are capable of trusting the club anymore, and that's kind of fed into their opinion of Solskjaer, it seems like. Although I think there's something to be said about the reactionary nature of football or modern football. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't think firing him is going to make anything better for Manchester United. Let's put yeah. it that way. I think he could be a very good manager if he had a system of support around him. Um, like, I've been reading stories for, it seems like, two years that United have been looking at so-and-so for director of football position or, you know, well, you know whatever. Um, like you said, the, the, the things that they leak to the press. But it just seems so interesting to me that they're so okay, like, this ownership group is so okay with that. It really does remind me of, I don't know if you remember the Hicks and Gillette ownership of, um, for Liverpool, but, um, they were the owners from like the mid 2000s to until I think 2012 or 2013 when they finally sold to FSG. Mm-hmm. But they're just, um, and they also own, like NASCAR race cars and stuff in, in America. But um, like some of the stuff that I read about in the press about Manchester United, like I don't know if it's true, but the stuff like Oli won't park in Sir Alex Ferguson's parking spot, like that's weird. Like yeah. it's fine if that's it, – it's fine if that's true. Like, and but, but like why do we care? Yeah. yeah, why do we care and why is that going to the press? Like, yeah. keep all that stuff in-house. Like, um, it was like six months until Liverpool fans found out that um, Jurgen Klopp didn't let the players touch the this is Anfield sign, um, which I thought, you know, was weird. Like, just it's just a sign. It's not magical or anything. But basically it was like until you win something, you can't touch the sign, which I get like – you're a coach, you're allowed to manage your dressing room how you want to manage it, but like you can't let that stuff get out right away. It just yeah. is so weird. <laughs> and they just seem okay with 
they just seem okay with allowing stuff like that to happen so the attention isn't on how awfully they're running the club. Right. And I guess the way that football media is kind of followed nowadays, it's it's a bit easier to do that because every moment that is not spent, you know, watching the 90 minutes of football each week, every other moment of the season or even the summer is spent speculating on things. And with Manchester United, there's just been so much to speculate about. And they've, they've, I've, it's almost seems like a survival tactic, some of the stuff they do, because like you said, for the last year, there's been these director of football rumors and then Woodward himself coming out and saying, yeah, we decided we're not actually doing that a while ago. So, so like basically <laughs> confirming that they did look at people, but that it was never going to be something, it was never going to be a position that had actual control over things. It was, they would still have to operate under Ed Woodward. It would just be a PR move. Yeah, and immediately after that, Van Der Zar comes out, who is, you know, the guy that all the main United fans want, and he's done a tremendous job at Ajax. But, you know, like a week after Ed Woodward says this, Van Der Zar says, yeah, I don't think I'm ready for this Manchester United position. I want to stay here and develop. Because, of course, you do. You just got to yeah. Champions League semifinal <laughs> with a group of, uh, you know, top league rejects and youngsters. Like, Things, yeah, are, <laughs> things are going so well at Ajax. Why would you go to a, a club that is almost certainly going to ruin your career if you have to operate under the Glazers and Ed Woodward? Yeah, like my so like my worst nightmare for the last couple of I would say probably year and a half is that Manchester United hires Mauricio Pochettino. Like that would be awful. But even looking at it now, like would he would he go from Working for Daniel Levy to wanting to work for Ed Woodward? I don't think so. Right. I mean, uh, you should. Right now, it doesn't really <laughs> seem like, you know, Pochettino yeah. would be a very good move. Yeah, like he, he needs a break. Um, so even now, like my worst nightmare that I've had over, over the last couple of years doesn't even sound that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely a charmed life for Liverpool at the moment. Um, so Mark, to wrap this up, uh, every, week Matt and I or whoever my guest is do a Fergie time question but okay. I I've had trouble coming up with one for a Liverpool guest so I'll I'll just ask the straight question do Liverpool win the Premier League this year yes all right fair enough uh yeah I mean why, why not say yes right <laughs> right and if they if they don't win I'm yeah, I mean, I might as well say yes. <laughs> right. All right, Mark, thanks for joining me. Um, everyone, be sure to check out Mark's work at uh, both the Liverpool Offside and uh, uh, what, what's the the Seattle Sounders one? Oh, Sounder at Heart. Right, uh, Sounder at Heart. Uh, he writes for both Liverpool Offside and Sounder at Heart and also does a podcast for uh, Sounder at Heart. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on to... Um to trash Manchester United for 30 minutes. <laughs>